Welcome to the Principled Podcast, brought to you by LRN. The Principled Podcast brings together the collective wisdom on ethics, business and compliance, transformative stories of leadership, and inspiring workplace culture. Listen in to discover valuable strategies from our community of business leaders and workplace changemakers. Hello and welcome to another episode of Season 4 of Principled Podcast from LRN. My name is Ben DiPietro. I'm the editor of LRN's ENC Pulse newsletter, and I hope you can find that and subscribe. With me today is Terry Stringer of HP. Terry has been called the ethics whisperer for her work in enabling leaders and organizations to have foster cultures of integrity. She works in ethics and compliance in HR for over 15 years in the energy business and was a founder of a consulting firm and is now with HP where she heads the company's ethics office and its center of excellence. HP was named for the first time in 2020 as one of the world's most ethical companies by Ethisphere Institute. In addition to her work in ENC, Terry is passionate about developing a pipeline of STEM-educated talent in minority and underserved communities, and has worked with several organizations to help prepare today's youth for the jobs of the future. She's married to Bishop Martin Stringer, and together they conduct mission trips to African countries, including Zimbabwe, Liberia, South Africa, and Zambia. She's the mother of three children and a chocolate Labrador mix named Jackie Robinson. Very cool name. Welcome, Terry. I appreciate you uh, joining us today. Well, thank you, Ben. I'm glad to be here. A tip of the cap to you and your husband for the work you're doing in Africa. Can you briefly give us an update on what that is and how long you've been doing it? And just a little synopsis of what you guys are up to there. We've been working in Africa as our mission field for, I guess, about the last 10, 12 years. My husband has gone to some of the more less safe areas. Let's put it like that. He's done mission work in places like South Sudan and Burundi, Bujumbura, and the Congo DR. The work I've done and done with him has been in the places that you named Zimbabwe and Liberia and South Africa. And what we do, we, of course, work in Christian ministry. So we work with the leaders of several of the churches in those areas and church-type organizations. And we help work with them in leadership skills, also ministerial skills, and just general education and educating them on how to effectively minister to their congregations and to their classes. What sparked your interest in ethics and compliance and your career path that's led you to your role here at HP? I actually do love ethics and compliance, but I can't say that that was the reason how I got into the to the field. I actually was in HR. I had worked with the company that I worked with, which now no longer exists. It was El Paso Corporation. And did quite a few programs and things and training and helped to build their first leadership program that included different types of development programs for anyone all the way from an emerging leader up to the um, executive leadership team that also included a succession planning program and all other types of various programs. I ended up being tapped to run our ethics and compliance office. 
I wasn't sure if I was going to really like it at first. I had worked with the office quite regularly because I developed training programs for them. So I was familiar a little bit with what they did, but not, of course, in totality. But when I got into the space and saw where I could apply a lot of the human connection programs that I had implemented in HR and incorporate that into ethics and compliance, particularly as it related to culture and how you get folks to be compliant is by, you know, making it just a way, a nature, their second nature. And it's just the way that things are done and making them owners of the company and the company successes. So in all of that, I got to really learn and love the ethics and compliance space and just how it can have quite an impact on the purpose that a, a company has and how that can be instilled in the employee population. And as you alluded to, there's a lot going on in the world right now as we speak. Gosh, yes. <laughs> and I want to ask you as a Black woman executive to uh, please talk a little bit about your feelings these last few months as so much of the country's focus remains on issues related to racial injustice and fairness. And I'm sure you have many stories of personal encounters you've had to deal with. I want to ask you about those. What did you learn from those and how did they improve you as a person? What is happening now has given me a lot of hope. And part of the reason for that is, and we'll probably talk about it later, about HP's response in this time. So I've, I've been heartened by that. But from what I have seen in you know how it's impacted me personally, how racism and injustices and inequality has impacted me throughout my life. It's been, uh, you know, different and varying. I grew up in Wisconsin. I have to say I lived mostly in the suburbs, although in the first part of my life during grade school, I lived in a predominantly African-American neighborhood, but it was, you know, mostly middle class to upper middle class that lived in the neighborhood. So from an early age, I developed a really strong self-concept. My parents were very good at instilling in us, you know, a strong sense of, of self and pride in who we are. So fast forward to when we did move out to the suburbs, I was very, very comfortable in who I was, very confident in who I was. And so I can't say that I, in my early years, at least while I was living in Wisconsin, that I ever encountered any real racism. However, when I did move here to Texas, it was just, that's a, a much different story. Most of the feelings or the things that I experienced really had to do with my children, I remember when my two oldest children were no more than seven and nine at the oldest. One of them came home and asked me, Mom, what's a nigger? And I remember thinking like, I didn't think I was going to have to have that conversation with you until way into your teenage years. And here you are in grade school asking me this question. And so we had to have a talk about, I had to find out what happened at school that day and why was he asking me this question. So I say all of that to say, how has it shaped me? <laughs> well, first of all, like I said, I've always been very self-confident. And so those types of 
we'll call them microaggressions that I might have experienced, I can kind of just slough off to perhaps the ignorance or the lack of exposure of the individual that's expressing them. Where it gets a little bit harder is if that individual has some sort of control over your pay or your ability to be promoted. And then I've also had to adopt a more transactional type of uh, operation with our strategy with those individuals where it's about what I do and what I deliver. And perhaps we're, we're never going to be the, the best of friends, but I'll be on my guard to ensure that I am treated fairly and that I can, wherever possible, note that I get the type of assignments that all of my other peers are getting. The long and short of it is, as I, I think it's made me a stronger, better person. It's made me a, probably a stronger mother, but probably one that, that still worries to this day when my kids are out driving and they're all grown, that they don't run into anything that's going to put them into a situation of danger. But it's also in today's day and time with what I'm now seeing, which is something I haven't seen in the past, I'm hopeful that we really will see some change as a society. What two pieces of advice do you have for young people of color then who are just entering the workforce? First of all, I would tell them, be who you are and be proud of who you are and always be your best self. I think that young people today really need to understand how much and how, you know, all the gifts that they have and to bring those with them. And then I tell them to to dream big and make sure you set really audacious goals. Don't let anyone tell you that you can't do it, that it can't be done. You set the goal and you figure out how to make it make it happen. When I came up, there was no internet. And look at, there's the internet today. You know, there's now self-driving cars. Cars can now run on electricity. So dream, dream big goals and dream big dreams and set audacious goals, because I think that's how we're going to advance into the future. Let's jump over to COVID, since that's also another big topic you're dealing with, I'm sure. How is that affecting what you're doing as head of the ethics office? How has your communications changed, your training? And as your locations prepare to open, what are your top concerns from an ENC perspective? Well, how is uh, how have we um, changed the way that we operate? Well, of course, almost everyone, with the exception of those that have to work in the office or that work in manufacturing sites, at least at HP, are working from home right now, and that's all all around the world. Now, there are different sites that are, you know, based on the type of work that's done at those sites, and this is apart from manufacturing sites, that may have different stages of reopening based on wherever they are in their jurisdictions and what their governments are doing and saying and that type of thing. But overall, HP is being very deliberate in reopening and going back to work. As far as how it's changed, what we do is that it's made all of us realize the importance of being patient and empathetic for those that now have to balance their work and home life in a way that they never had to before. Now they're, rather than working from home, now they're they're home at work. And many of them, for instance, I've got many folks on my team that have kids. And so I've got to be understanding of the fact that 
these kids are probably not going back to school in some of the jurisdictions where they're at. So the parents are going to have to be sure to have the time to be able to homeschool them or ensure that they're taking their internet courses the way that they're supposed to. And some of those times are going to conflict with normal business hours. And so we've had to make adjustments to make sure that we are not causing additional stress on these parents, but providing ways that they can still get their work done and that they can make sure that they can be there for their for their families. Also, it's in, you talked about the way that we're communicating. I'll just talk first with just how we're communicating with our teams and how that's different. You know, let's start off every meeting now with just a check-in on how you're doing, both as a group and when I have individual meetings with my team members. And I really want to know how they're doing because if there's something that needs to be done, you know, if they're in a situation where they they need some other type of intervention, I want to make sure that we know that so that I can get direct them to the resources that can help them in those particular situations. But also because, you know, I've got folks that are single on my team that have been basically in lockdown and in their house since March. And so I want to make sure that whatever I can do as their manager, that I can be there as either a sounding board, as a support, as to provide them or point them to resources and or to make it okay for them to take a breather or to take a step back or to try to clear the way so that they can keep their well-being in check. As far as on an ethics and compliance scale, what have we done as far as changing our communications? I would say that we've also incorporated a much more empathetic tone, even when needing to communicate about our values or about the way that we we do things. Recognizing, for instance, that perhaps our salespeople might be feeling a lot more pressure to make the sale, to do things, to cut corners because perhaps they've been in lockdown and their, their potential customers have been in lockdown. And so they may feel that they need to make up ground and they They might want to do that by doing things that are not necessarily according to our values or compliant. And so we've had to send out communications to just remind people that we still expect everyone to operate according to what we call the HP way, which is with our values and uncompromising integrity. But the tone of those messages is not you know, the thou shalt not uh, as, uh, you know, coming from an ivory tower, but more of uh, we're in it with you. And we recognize that these are really, really hard times. And we just want to remind you that don't forget to just operate the way that you've you've always been operating. With that, uh, I want to thank you very much for taking some time today to talk to us. It was uh, very interesting to get your perspective. And I wish you the best of luck going forward. And uh, hopefully we'll uh, keep doing some great stuff together. Well, thank you, Ben, and wish the best to you as well. Great. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed this episode. The Principled Podcast is brought to you by LRN. At LRN, our mission is to inspire principled performance in global organizations by helping them foster winning ethical cultures rooted in sustainable values. Please visit us at LRN.com to learn more. And if you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And don't forget to leave us a review.